Hey, great news. Major League Baseball's owners and players got together secretly, quietly, for one day last week, according to an ESPN report, and negotiated, and nothing came of it. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates Comes Your Way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey i also offer up daily shots of steelers and penguins where you found this the conversations according to espn's jesse rogers involved and i quote directly several non-core economic issues such as scheduling grievance procedures special events and or the drug and domestic violence policies, end quote. Negotiations regarding the major obstacles toward a new agreement, those won't take place until after New Year's Day. That leaves like a month, maybe a month and a half for these two sides that are solar systems apart on economics to hammer out a deal in time to start spring training when it usually starts in mid-February and in turn have a normal season. Yes! We're off to a flying start! See, this is what's needed. This is what's needed. Look, I'm being, you know, facetious here to an extent. I want to see baseball. You want to see baseball. I want to see the Pirates play at PNC Park. You know? I want to see the people who are employed at 115 Federal continue to be employed. I want to see the businesses surrounding PNC Park reap the benefits of the 81 home games that are scheduled. But, you know, what matters more in the longer term toward the health of the sport in Pittsburgh than changing, dramatically changing the economic system that's in place. The owner's proposal, the only one on record, at least that we know of, for a base economic system calls for the first time ever for a salary floor. And of course, that was the only headline that made it into the New York and L.A. and Chicago papers, but what it also would implement is a lower tax threshold of $180 million. So you'd have the Dodgers, who had a $277 million payroll this past season, paying an extraordinary sum into the tax system. You'd have the Yankees and the Mets also paying into it. You might have a couple other teams as well. The Angels. But you'd also have a system where there would be expanded revenue sharing. You'd have an actual window between 100 and 180 where everyone would kind of have to be in that same range. And that in and of itself would level the playing field. Would it magically make teams that are currently bad good? No, of course not. Look in cap leagues that exist right now. 
Look at the Coyotes in the NHL. They stink every year. It's a cap league. They're forced to spend within a range. They just have no guidance, no leadership. Look at the Jaguars in the NFL. Heck, look at the two New York teams in the NFL, for that matter. They're just poorly run. And if you're poorly run, you're not going to win anywhere. This notion that people put forth that, oh, you just want a salary cap because you think it's a cure-all. No, nobody thinks that. You have to be an idiot to think that. Evidence to the contrary is everywhere. What you're looking for is a fair balance. You're looking for a chance. You're looking for an opportunity that if you do have people who know what they're doing and people with baseball smarts, that they can build a good baseball team. Maybe the Pirates have that right now. Maybe they don't. I don't feel like Ben Charrington's group's been in place long enough to be certain of either. But I do know that they don't have the same opportunity. They don't play on the same playing field as the Dodgers, who, whenever they lose a couple of players, can just say, Oh, no, we lost Trevor Bauer, our $40 million a year pitcher. Whatever shall we do about this? And then they just go and get Max Scherzer. And by the way, let's throw in Trey Turner while we're at it. Why? Because their payroll is limitless. People say, oh, the Dodgers have a great farm system. That's the root of what they do. They do have a great farm system because they do have some good baseball minds there. But that's not what allowed them to go get Scherzer and Turner. That's not what allows them to keep the players that they bring up through their system. That's not what allows them to keep Clayton Kershaw in Dodger blue all these years. What allows them to do that is the grotesque economic imbalance that has to end. And maybe, maybe if there's rancor ahead in January, it'll come to pass. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. So let's suppose that everyone gets together and it's all kumbaya at the beginning. They find a place, hotel, resort most likely, you know how these lawyers go. And they sit down and say, all right. We settled all this minor stuff in December, so clearly we can agree on things. That's the momentum that we were looking for. Now let's talk. And the owners bring up that proposal again. And everyone on the player's side of the table will close up their briefcases, stand up, and single file out of the room. Why? Because of an ancient, archaic principle on their end, that 
if you put in a salary floor, you are by definition creating a salary cap. Tony Clark, the chief executive of MLBPA, said as much. He, he called it a salary cap when it was proposed. It was rejected out of hand. There was nothing even to discuss. Their solution, the player's counter, you're going to think I'm making this up, the player's counter was that the lower revenue teams, like the Pirates, should receive even less revenue sharing. Because if they get less revenue sharing, there will be more money staying with the Yankees and the Dodgers and so forth, and they'll go out and build even better teams and give us even more money. It's so... What's the word I'm looking for here? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to overthink it. It's stupid. It's stupid and short-sighted on Tony's part. It really is. And I say that as someone who generally likes the guy and has had nothing but good dealings with him. But that's stupid and short-sighted. The only people being hurt in that process are the players he's representing. Every bit of math available to anyone will powerfully illustrate that in the cap leagues, the middle class benefits immensely. You know, the middle class that in baseball has been getting slammed now for years. There was a report yesterday by the Associated Press's Ronald Blum, who's forever had a connection, I can tell you, uh, to the MLBPA. It's where he gets his numbers from. And he put forth some of the data from 2021. And by the way, according to Blum's numbers, the Pirates ended up with the lowest actual payout of any team in the majors. I should throw that in parenthetically at $50 million. It was the lowest of any team in the majors since the Astros in 2013, back when the Astros tanked. Remember that? That was a big deal at the time. And of course, the Astros ended up winning World Series after that. But digressing here, Blum also had in his report that Major League Baseball salaries have dropped year upon year upon year. And they're now down 6% from the previous year. And they keep dropping even while the upper crust, the very upper crust of players are having their pay go up and up and up. Why? Because there are only so many Dodgers and Yankees and Mets to go around. There's only so many $30 million, $40 million annual deals to go around with those teams. Tony Clark just conveniently overlooks that and says, no cap, no cap, free market, open market. But the only people being hurt by this, again, are his own people, are his players. Oh, and by the way, the players' agents, other than one, Scott Boris, who's behind all of this, his principal thing. This principal thing begins and ends with Boris. And he wags the MLBPA. He's the tail wagging the dog. And he's also the tail wagging Tony Clark. This has a 0.000% chance of being solved in January. 
And as a result, you're going to start seeing things get rolled back. And then when things get rolled back, tensions rise. And people start saying mean things about each other from both sides. And then it becomes a little bit personal. The lawyers start taking it personally. And then they hunker down and then they dig in. And this is what you need. This is what you need. You need the owners to take it personally. You need the owners to hunker down. Not because they're wholesome individuals and not because they're the right side to take in the dispute. I don't see this as being about sides. I see it as being about an outcome. If the owners really, really get mad and they stick together, what will emerge is a better system for cities like Pittsburgh. That, my friends, is the extent of my interest in this process. When we come back, just one question. time for just one question and that comes today from Jack Allen who asks if O'Neill Cruz stays at shortstop where does Leover Peguero fit in in the future Jack the easy answer to that is it won't really matter um, I know we think a lot about slotting players and depth charts with in minor league structures but it almost never ends up applying. Why? It could be performance. It could be injury. And you know what? In those really rare events, when you do have two players of significant potential perfectly aligned, and they got to be at that same position, you can always trade one of them. And you can trade one of them for a lot, considering what prospects can get you on that market. So I, that's, that's my reflexive response here. I know it's not the one you'd probably want to hear here, but just this stuff never really matters. That's why, if you'll recall, when Henry Davis was the number one overall pick last year as a catcher, the first thought with most people from what I could gather from the feedback was, wow, he's a catcher. Um, what does that mean for Jacob Stallings? It meant nothing. You know? The moment there was a deal that Ben Charrington liked regarding Stallings, Stallings was gone. You know how long it took him to replace Stallings, at least in his mind? Less than 24 hours. Roberto Perez was brought in for $5 million at one year. Just like that. Nobody was worried about the depth chart at any level. I say this all the time, but so much of what happens in the draft in non-NFL sports gets confused with the NFL draft because that's the one that everybody watches. It's also the one that everybody understands because it's the only one in which we can actually see those players with our own eyes before they get drafted. So they're more real. And they show up in training camps the same summer competing for roster spots. Well, that's not baseball by any stretch of the imagination. It takes you four or five years to get there. A whole lot can change. A whole lot can still change for Peguero. He had a decent season in Greensboro. He didn't have a spectacular season. He had a nice finish. He'll need to have another one. 
in Altoona this coming season, as will Nick Gonzalez. And those guys will continue to come up through the system, and we'll see how things play out. You just don't know this far in advance. You don't know where else Piguero might slot. You don't know if Piguero can hit at a big league level. I mean, that's still number one. You don't worry about what their positions are. You worry if they can hit. Of course you want them to play good defense. Of course you want them to be responsible, sound, fundamental ball players, and all that other stuff. But more than anything, they've got to hit. Let's see Piguero hit his way into the big leagues, and from there you'll find a place for the bat. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do one more tomorrow before taking a break for Christmas.